This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Uh, Again, this reading is the same uh, from a different translation, but the same reading uh, that we heard at the lighting of the Advent candles as it is prescribed for us this morning in the Revised Common Lectionary. I invite you once again to listen for a word from the Lord as it is written, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly. Who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden? Behold, at that time... I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back. Even at that time, I will gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Luke, the third chapter, beginning at verse 7 and continuing through verse 17. I invite you once again to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. John, the baptizer, said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here ends this reading 
from God's holy word. As we are making our way through this season of Advent, it is customary for this revised common lectionary of ours to point us to passages from Scripture that feature John the Baptist and his ministry, for he was a very important herald of the imminent arrival of the Messiah. So this morning, we come to one of those in which we find the baptizer seemingly surprised and perhaps even a bit disappointed that his ministry is becoming so popular and reaching so many people. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, instructs John, right after castigating those who came out to be baptized by saying, in effect, well, well, look who's here. How did you get the word that the judgment day was fast approaching? Those who had come to the Jordan seeking a baptism of forgiveness were confronted with the baptizer's prerequisites. He tells them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. Even to the tax collectors, he told them, Teacher, what should we do? As they asked, he responded, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And to soldiers who asked, What about us? He said to them, Don't extort money from anyone by false accusations or threats. And be satisfied with the wages which you already earn. This call to repentance is one that the Hebrew people of John's time would have been familiar with from their scriptures. For the Old Testament is rife with accounts of their prophets speaking to them repeatedly down through the ages on this very subject. It might even be said that the mark of a true Hebrew prophet was that he was bringing a reminder from God of the people's need to repent. What made John a bit Peculiar, well, aside from his special diet and his preferred attire, was that, according to the author of the Gospel, according to Luke, the baptizer was a bit more specific about what form the repentance should take. Unlike so many of the prophets which had preceded him, John's message wasn't simply about this nebulous need for the people to repent. It wasn't about their need to return to worship of the one true God. It wasn't simply about their tragic wandering off to pledge allegiances to other deities, making offerings to idols and the like. But it was also about their conduct with, between, and among members of the same community, their brothers and sisters. Now, it would seem as if it ought to go without saying that people should treat one another fairly. But apparently, there was a need for the people to be reminded that this is how they were to behave. And it wasn't just on account of a prophet's rules for living, but in accord with both the letter and the spirit of the law of Moses. And in fact, in this morning's adult Sunday school lesson, we were studying 
about David and his kingship. And in that lesson, there was reference made to a concept of loving kindness. In Hebrew, the word is chesed. Uh, and David exemplified this loving kindness in his relationships with some people who were in a line that was not exceedingly friendly with David. Uh, King Saul was quite afraid of David and what he might represent, a threat to his throne, and yet his son, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David became very good friends. And David's reaching out in loving kindness to those who could have presented a threat to him was lifted up in our lesson. And I wanted to share with you this brief selection as it talked about this word, chesed, which can also be translated as mercy and goodness, but is most often in Hebrew translated as loving kindness. It's easy to see that this is an attribute of God, especially when he extends mercy. It is by his loving kindness that God has extended mercy to all who have put their faith and trust in him. And furthermore, this loving kindness is a characteristic that God's people should then have toward others. Considering the kindness and mercy the Lord extends toward us, how important it is for his people to show that same kind of kindness and mercy to one another. And that's what John is reminding the people of. Somewhere along the line, they had gone off the rails and forgotten. And so he is bringing it to their attention, to the forefront of their consciousness. And perhaps, in part, it was this novel and practical focus of John's which prompted the people to begin wondering if perhaps it was he himself who was the long-awaited promised Messiah. When he heard of these rumors that were floating around, however, he quickly put a stop to them by telling the people unequivocally that they were very much mistaken, that he couldn't hold a candle to the one who was about to come and fulfill the prophecies of old. And when this Jesus who had been born to Mary six months after Elizabeth had delivered John, is once again reunited with his kinsmen and does receive a special anointing right there at the Jordan. Then he begins his public ministry, which many saw as a continuation of that which John had begun. While the two men shared more than a lineage and a penchant for being, as McKemmy was himself labeled by Lord Cornberry, a disturber of governments, there were also marked differences in their messages. John was, after all, a prophet and a herald. He was called to preach the word of God that came to him there in the wilderness. And Jesus, on the other hand, was the word of God there in the wilderness and everywhere else he went. He was the word made flesh and he was uniquely conceived and equipped to be a prophet and a priest, and a king, the savior of the nations, 
the Messiah. Although it seemed to many of their day that the two men were engaged in pretty much the same line of work that was dedicated to bringing the Israelites closer to God, there is a key difference in their methods and message. And John was the first to admit this, for he was about doing just this, encouraging the Jews to return to living as the people of God, thereby drawing themselves back toward him. In Jesus, by contrast, we see God himself drawing near to his people. And that was something that was quite unexpected and quite notable. Therefore, when he went preaching and teaching, he regularly blessed the sinful and the unrepentant, healing and forgiving them as only God could. The difference in their approach to the task of reconciliation between God and mankind may seem to be a bit of a chicken and egg academic debate, but it has profound consequences in how we understand who Jesus was and what he was sent to accomplish. Whereas John was telling the people what they needed to do to get right with God, Jesus was removing all of the obstacles that had stood in the way of people's relationship with God, namely their sins. And afterwards, then he would instruct them to go and sin no more. This only Jesus could do, for it was the right reserved to and by God alone. And this understanding of Jesus as the first mover is just as important to us today as it was in John's time. Mankind, after all, did nothing to institute Christmas. Coca-Cola may have institutionalized it with Santa in a red suit, but we did nothing to institute it. That was a complete and utter work of God, who even took Joseph out of the picture by inviting his betrothed Mary to simply be a vessel by which the Holy Spirit might bring about the deliverance of the Messiah to the world. The nativity was at a place and a time and through such circumstances that God alone had appointed. And this might be a good thing for us to remember and to reflect upon in this seating, in this season that is leading us up to the day of celebration the great festival day of Christmas. Though we often tend to make it about giving gifts, whether it be stuff to our kids or our grandkids or our spouses, or about giving the gift of fellowship with family and friends, we didn't invent this holiday. We're simply responding to it. So while wrapping or unwrapping presents, while enjoying table talk, over turkey or ham, we would be doing none of this had something not been done for us, for we who certainly did not and could not have deserved it. Something that only God could do and something that only God, in fact, did. All because he chose to bless us so richly and has invited us to offer a grateful response. 
John the Baptist, the one who foretold the coming of a man who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, urged people to make preparations. He didn't talk about window dressings, trees and lights, and stockings and fine china, but about changes in attitude and behavior which would have meaningful and lasting effect beyond just the individual. In many ways, these were and are much more difficult tasks for us to undertake. Harder even than clinging onto a, a cold ladder with one hand for hours on end with a string of lights that has in it one dead bulb. Harder even than making the perfect dinner that everyone from the youngest to the oldest at the table enjoys and isn't picky about eating. Full of compassion, love, and mercy, Jesus understands as well. And though he knew that what John had been preaching was in humanity's best interest, he also understood that frailty of the human condition, our hearts, our minds, and our wills. So he offers to aid us in achieving what we couldn't do on our own. As we hear again these words, these cries, the admonishments of John, and discern how we might respond in our own circumstances to the prophet's cry, his call to justice and holiness and obedience. We can do so in light of the incarnation, the death and the resurrection of the one who has freed us from these past sins of ours and enables us to respond without excuse nor regard for circumstance. And for that we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.